Open your Bible to the book of Proverbs. We are be, we'll be looking over the next several weeks through the summer at the book of Proverbs, one of my favorite books and one of the first books that I ever read through, the Bible, read through in the Bible. Uh, it is a great book if you are a new Christian and looking for a book to read that gives you the foundations for wisdom, which is the title of this message today, Foundation for Wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1. We'll just be covering the first seven verses of Proverbs this morning from Proverbs chapter 1. Now, one of the most helpless feelings I've ever experienced in my life, and a lot of you can identify with this, was that moment my first child was born. Uh, I, I, I looked at my son in the eyes, and the scary thing was that he looked right back at me. Um, I, I knew something in that moment that something that people had been telling me for months, if not years to that point, but had not really sunk in that, that I would be responsible for the upbringing of a real-life human being. And uh, God had entrusted this newborn person into my care, into my wife's care. We were the ones who were responsible for instructing him, for guiding him, for educating him, and for civilizing him. <laughs> and something about that moment of staring him in the eyes, him looking back at me, and I, I knew something in my heart that I had never fully appreciated before, and that is the responsibility and the weight of fatherhood. Now, we've, been, we've been parenting now, officially, for over 10 years, and at every stage of parenting, we find new challenges, new difficulties, new opportunities, and some of you extre uh, experienced parents will come tell me, they say, well, just wait until they get to be this age, and you get to cover this issue, and it's the same, I'm sure it's the exact same kind of feeling. I hear your words, but I don't understand what you mean yet. And one day, I will be looking at my son, perhaps with more sternness in my eyes, and it will dawn on me, oh, this is what they meant by that, right? What, what is the responsibility parents have towards their children? They are responsible to educate, to civilize, to guide, to instruct. And, and, and when you think about the big picture job of parenting and teaching, instructing, molding a child, where do you start? Where do you go? How, how, do, you, how do you begin your job of, of civilizing this young person? Where do you start? We like to parent, we like to teach with a direction in mind. If you're a coach and you're coaching a sport, you coach with that direction in mind. You have drills that are aimed at developing skills in the students, in the, in the, in the athlete's body, the, the muscle memory of life, so to speak, so that as they do these drills, so many times it becomes second nature. We played baseball growing up, and there were so many drills that you did over and over again. When you're a musician, you do all kinds of drills, arpeggios and scales, because you learn these things that you can do without thinking about it. It just flows out of you, and that's supposed to be how life is. You're supposed to drill in these things that are, that are, that are small and that are, that are towards a goal, and I don't think I can think of a better book in the Bible that has this concept, this direction, this goal of mature wisdom more than the book of Proverbs in our Bible today. It, it was going to be more helpful for you than any book you can find at Walmart, any book you can find at Barnes and Noble, and I think any book you can find at Books a Million. They're going, the book of Proverbs is going to give you everything you need for understanding how to develop wisdom, how to understand wisdom, and how to develop the people God has entrusted to you. This is not just a parenting book. This is also a book about our own hearts. 
It's a book that, that drills into our own hearts and shows us where we have failed and we have embraced folly. The book of Proverbs is a kind of a handbook. It's a guidebook for living, and it helps us understand the practical ways that the world works because God made the world. And since he made the world, he knows how it works. Just this past week, I had to call because my, uh, my pressure washer, one of the parts on it broke, and I, for the life of me, could not figure out what part this was. I looked at all of the owner's manuals. I looked at all the diagrams online. I watched about 12 YouTube videos and could not find what this part was called. So you know what I had to do? I had to call the people who made the machine and say, hey, I have this little part. I talked to a real-life human being. Isn't that amazing? They talked to a real-life? I actually talked to a person. And this person said, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's product number, da-da-da-da-da. And he gave me the product number. I wrote it down on my little yellow pad. I Googled it, and boom, there it was. If you're going to understand how something is built, if you're going to understand why things work the way they do, you have to go to the one who made it. And God made us. God made the world. He made the world work the way it does. Uh, the, the title for this series, as I mentioned here, is Wisdom from Above. And, and this comes from the book of James. In fact, I'm going to put it up on the screen behind me so you don't have to turn there. But the book of James is like a New Testament version of Proverbs. It, it's a book of wisdom. And in this, he says the following, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, is sensual, is demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing abound or are there. But, notice this phrase, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Notice that God gives us the stark contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom of the earth. There is a very sharp division here. In verse 13, we see there's good conduct, there's meekness and gentleness of true wisdom, where in verse 14, he describes that which is bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, and lying about truth. That kind of wisdom does not come from God. There is a kind of wisdom that is contrary to God's wisdom. There is a way of doing things that is not consistent with God's way of doing things. So there are two paths. There are two ways. They are before us, and we need to learn how to distinguish between the good way and the bad way. How do you know? We desperately need to learn God's wisdom and reject the world's wisdom, and we need a guidebook to show us how the world works. Father, we come to you today. We know that without you, we are unable to do anything. Your scripture tells us that that without you present, we are nothing. And so today we ask you, Lord, to fill our hearts and to show us where we lack, but not to leave us hopeless, but to point us towards the hope of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which shows us that we may have true love for you through Christ. We may know you and that knowing you changes everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at the book of Proverbs, if I hope you're there in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the pews in front of you or chairs in front of you, as well as on the way out by the fire hydrant there, or fire extinguisher, sorry, you can um, grab a, um, a, a paper Bible as a gift from us to you. Proverbs 1.1 says the book, or the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king 
of Israel. The book opens by telling us that these wisdom sayings, these proverbs, were written and collected by Solomon. Solomon as the son of David. He served as a king under a united kingdom of Israel. And so Solomon gives us in this short section the purposes for collecting and for teaching and for using these wisdom sayings. He wants to educate and he wants to train young people in how they should behave as adults outside of the home. That is the simplest way of understanding his purpose here. Proverbs is kind of like a manual for living aimed at young people. But if you're not young anymore, guess what? You still have a lot to learn. In fact, if this book were published today, I would imagine that some well-respecting Christian publishing house would probably call it Training Future Leaders or something like that. Because that's the focus of this book, is all about how young people are to understand God's wisdom. And you have to understand wisdom is like a road or like a path. Proverbs is like a collection of truths that might be rules of thumb. I want to set this out on the front end that Proverbs contains many things in it that are like rules of thumb or ways of understanding the way the world works. They're not necessarily promises. So we have things like train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise that every time that if, if your child has departed from the faith that you did something wrong in training up your child, that you did not train him up in the way he should go. These are rules of thumbs about generally how the world works. But the problem is, is that we as believers, we as people, let's just face it, as people, we, do not, we are not born loving wisdom. In fact, by our nature, we are children of foolishness. We, we like to think that we can get away with doing stuff and nobody will know. We like to think that we can get something for free without working. We, we like to think that other people are the reason that we aren't succeeding. We like to think that we can be lazy and it won't matter. We love foolishness. And so, but we have to understand that living as a fool is living blind to the real world. And in fact, we need to be taught how to love wisdom, but before we can know how to love wisdom, we need the foundation or the prerequisites for wisdom, which is the title of this message, the foundation for wisdom. And we notice at the beginning of the book, purpose statements laid out for the book. The first thing we see clearly is that wisdom requires listening. And I think, I think in order to fully appreciate the book that we have laid out for us for the next several weeks, we really need to dig in in these first seven verses. Slightly slower than we'll typically be going, but hang with me. I think you'll appreciate what God is teaching us here at the beginning of Proverbs. Notice what he says in the first three verses, that wisdom requires listening. We need to listen so we may absorb truth. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. What is the purpose for the student? Well, the several what are called infinitive clauses are given here back to back to back. They give us the student we are hoping to receive when we read the book. What will you get out of this book? Well, he says here that we will know wisdom and understanding, perceive the words of understanding, and then notice first to know wisdom and instruction. When he says knowing wisdom and instruction, he says wisdom is learning, it's skill in living, it's doing things the right way. That's what wisdom means. It means skill. You ever met someone who's very skilled at something, skilled at woodworking? I am not very skilled at woodworking, and I have worked with people who are very skilled at woodworking, and it's embarrassing for me to try to do something with my hands around them because I feel like I'm a fumbling fool. With the skill that they use to make something that is not beautiful to beauty, to, to, to be beautiful. 
there's a skill in that, and that's the word for wisdom. Further, the word instruction involves the word idea of discipline. That is, making something that is not right correct. It's the idea of correction, to correct what is wrong, to make it right. Wisdom will allow us to know how to live skillfully and how to correct what's wrong. Secondly, we see perceiving words of understanding. How will you know the difference between what is right and what is wrong? How can you perceive, how can you understand or discern between understanding and foolishness? This is not obvious to young people or to the foolish. Most people are not able to make that distinction. Um, Normally, it takes experience to know, oh, I won't do that again. I'll never go down that path again. Boy, that was stupid. A lot of us have said that to ourselves many times. But, but notice here, even those who are more mature might struggle to sift between good and bad advice. Is there, a good, is there a way we can learn without actually paying the price, without actually experiencing the pain? Yes, you can learn from what others have gone through and listen. You will receive advice your whole life. Wisdom is knowing whom to obey and whom to ignore. Wisdom means perceiving the, when the words you hear are good words of understanding. This last thing he says is to receive instruction of wisdom. And it's parsed out in three distinct areas. Uh, notice this first one, justice. Wisdom, uh, instruction of wisdom in justice, judgment, and equity. When he says justice, he's talking about righteousness, good behavior, right behavior, the right way of doing things. You need wisdom in righteousness, wisdom in what is right. Secondly, he says, wisdom in judgment. That is the right way you do those right things. Showing judgment. Um, Those of you in the secular world uh, may be familiar with this term, best practices. They may say, well, the best practice is you do it this way. And that, that generally is saying that you generally do things a certain way to make sure it's done right, and normally you do it this way, best practices. And this is the idea behind the word judgment. It is idea of the best way to handle something. We all have been around people who do the right thing the wrong way. And here he's saying we have to do the right thing the right way. The third part of this is the phrase equity. Now, what is equity? Simply put, it is fairness. And that God is not a respecter of persons. And I don't know of another word that's been so misused in our current context in the word equity. In fact, equity today is thrown around in political contexts all the time. But what they, what they mean is, is that everyone has to end up receiving the same thing. And that's not what fairness means. That's not, fairness is everyone is dealt with the same. That God is not a respecter of persons. God deals with you as he deals with me. Just because I'm a pastor, God God does not say, well, I'm going to let him get away with extra stuff this week because he's doing all this good stuff for me on the weekend. That's not the way it works. God deals with all of us as sinners in need of a Savior. There should be equity as we deal with other people. It's not right for us to treat different people different ways. We ought to know wisdom so we can treat people fairly. If we don't have wisdom, if we don't don't treat treat people fairly, what are we going to fall back on? We're going to fall back on treating people we like and people who look like us and people who talk like us and people who are familiar to us better than people who don't look like us and don't talk to us or don't talk like us and, and don't remind us of ourselves. We, we tend towards tribalism without God's wisdom of fairness. We ought to treat people fairly. It is wrong for us to have bigotry in our hearts, and that is to look at people and say, because they look a certain way or because they talk a certain way, I'm assuming they're going to be a certain way, and I won't give them a certain amount of grace or whatever. The Bible tells us we are to listen so we may absorb truth and we may live out justice, judgment, and equity. And I want you to notice something. If you have a pencil, you might want to start circling some words in your Bible. I want you to notice all the words that relate to your mind. 
the word know in verse 2. The next line down in verse 2, the word perceive. And then in verse 3, the word receive. All of these are involved with how we take in the truth, how we think about the truth. Notice the battle of wisdom is ultimately a battle of the mind. What are you listening to? What are you thinking about? What are you paying attention to? And the, the question is, how does a student move from folly to wisdom? How do you find the key to living well? So in verse 4, Solomon shifts slightly from talking about the student. What will happen if he listens to these to talking about the purpose of the book and what the book will accomplish. And that is, notice the second point here under point one is, listen so you may discern error. To give prudence to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. That, that is discernment. From accepting what is true to learning how to distinguish between what is true and what ought to be thrown away. Wisdom is not listening to everything that comes your way and accepting it. You don't just open your mind up and dump whatever people will throw at you. Education and learning God's wisdom does not mean you just accept everything. Rather, what we must have is this key word of prudence. You see that word prudence? It means cunning or skill. It's a discernment of what is good and what is not good. It's critical thinking skills. You need to develop critical thinking skills in life, period, but especially when you're being exposed to when people are preaching to you. Do you know people are preaching to you all the time? And not just where you're actually sitting in a service where someone is literally called a preacher who is preaching to you, but every time you turn on the, the, the television, every time you watch a movie, Every time you turn on the TV show, my wife and I were talking about this this past week, it is astonishing how much preaching happens constantly. People are trying to influence you with a set of values, and they're trying to influence you with their set of values, and you need to have prudence. And the simple need prudence, the simple fool, the basic fool. And, and I want you to notice the second thing about this is that wisdom can be taught. I think a lot of us are under the impression that either you have it or you don't. You know, some kids at birth are just smarter than others. And, and it's true that God has gifted us differently in this department, but prudence is not the same as book learning. Pr prudence, you can be very prudent without having a lot of formal education. In fact, we're talking here about a kind of common sense knowledge that comes from listening to prudent wisdom. Prudence will be given to the one who pays attention to the book of Proverbs. Who's the audience for this? He says the simple. That's a young man. A simple person here are set in such a way that they're describing the same person, the simple and the young man. And I'll explain a lot in this series later that the book of Proverbs divides a, up the, the category of fools into several different categories. There's a, there's a simple fool who's like a naive person. And, and frankly, all of us were once there, if not still there. The idea of a simple fool is someone who just is naive. They don't know any better. And a classic example of this is a child. You can tell a kid anything, and they'll believe you. I mean, some of you have told your kids about a big fat man who goes around the world, like, all in one day, and, and they believe you, right? And they, they are like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it makes logic, logical sense. No, it doesn't. They're kids, right? They, they will believe anything. You tell them there's a, well, I better stop. I'm going to get in trouble with some parents. You get my drift, right? Okay, so 
kids are naive and simple, and they need to be instructed and given this knowledge and discretion. But, but there are going to be other levels of fools. There is a, a, a harder fool, and, and the most extreme version of a fool is called a scoffer. I'm not going to talk about that much today, but a scoffer is one who really is beyond rescue, in a sense. Now, God can save anyone, but this is the person who mocks God, who hates God, and scoffs at God, makes fun of God. Not out of naivete, not, doesn't need instruction. This scoffer needs to be dealt with harshly, and we'll talk about that, as I said, in a future message. But notice here that knowledge and discretion, a general word for knowing things here is is listening. You need to listen. You need to learn. And application here, briefly, as we finish this point up, is that students need to be taught how to listen. Students need to be taught how to listen. Much of our modern education theory centers around the idea that that a child, a student, is really a, a like like a flower who needs to bud and become themselves. You need to get out of the way so they can become their true self. Friends, that is, that is so far from biblical thinking that it's scary. But biblical thinking tells us that educating people in wisdom is much more like a farmer who irrigates and weeds. He, he pulls out bad thoughts, and he, he spreads water so that, so that the farm may grow, and, and that's how it happens, so that he must cultivate so that the farm will bring forth fruit. There is work involved, and it's not, it's not always validating what someone thinks about themselves. And I want you to notice how much of the need for wisdom comes outside of ourselves. So the second major point I want to make on this first point is that wisdom is received. It's not natural. You don't need to look inside yourself. You need to look in God's word. You need to apply for wisdom elsewhere. No matter how many people tell you to listen to your heart, you need to listen to God's word. Wisdom requires listening, but wisdom, secondly, also requires pursuit. Notice verses 5 and 6 with me, if you would. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The exposure to wisdom does not just come into the brain by contact or by osmosis. My dad was in seminary when I was a young boy, about eight, nine, ten years old, and he studied Greek at that time, and I used to laugh because he would take his Greek cards, he'd keep them in the car with him, and he would review his Greek vocabulary while he was at stop signs. And sometimes when we were with him, just to be funny, he would take the Greek card, he'd put it on top of his glasses, and he would say, see, it's soaking into my brain. <laughs> Some of us believe that's how being changed by God is going to work. I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to open my Bible, set it on my lap, arrange it next to my coffee cup, take a picture so I can post it on Instagram, and God's word will, by osmosis, change me by contact. No, you need to pursue wisdom. You need to increase your learning. Because a wise man is aware of his need. Look at verse 5. A wise man will hear and what? Increase learning. A man of understanding attains, pursues, achieves wise counsel. A man of wisdom is not someone who has all they need. A man of wisdom is not the guy on the, on the mountain who you climb up to go see who knows all the answers. No, a man of wisdom is someone who pursues wisdom. A man of wisdom pursues wisdom, doesn't already have the wisdom. The wisdom was with God. We need to be people who are pursuing wisdom and, and reaching for it and aware of the fact that we need wisdom. We don't need to sit there and think, oh, I got this all 
figured out. You don't have it all figured out. Look at verse 5b, at the end of verse 5. He says, he will attain wise counsel. The smartest people in the world surround themselves with people who know more than they do. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room with a bunch of yes men telling you what you want to hear. You need people who will tell you hard truths. Are you willing to do that? A wise man will hear and increase in learning. He is aware of his need, and he is also aware of his limits. Look at verse 6. To understand a proverb, an enigma, the words of the wise, and their riddles. Those two words, enigma and riddles, but also the word proverbs, has this idea we're dealing with things that are not super clear or obvious. Proverbs just means like a parable. It's a way of seeing the world. It communicates how the world works through a terse or a short saying. An enigma some of the teachings of the book of Proverbs are like this. They're like a complicated or puzzling phrase, like a puzzle, mysterious. We need to be aware of our limits, that we're dealing with things that are a little bit mysterious about the way the world works. We don't always understand it. The riddles of the wise, the words of the wise, you need to be prepared to understand that, that you need to appreciate what your teachers are saying and be prepared to hear it, because the strategy of Proverbs is much different than the strategy of the prophets. In fact, I found this great quote, um, which I'll share with you in a second, that explains this, because we do this all the time. Think about how, how handling something with a proverb, with a picture, can communicate more effectively. So, for example, if you have children, think about the difference between these two sayings. The first, it does not matter if your friends are going out. You are not going out. Okay? That's the first one. Here's the second. If everyone jumped off a bridge, would you? Okay. One is a in-your-face, confrontational, you will not go out with your friends. The other is a question with a picture of a bunch of your friends doing something really foolish and stupid, and the question is, would you follow them to their destruction if they went? And I remember the first time that question was posed to me, I had to actually think about it. And I know it's, it's very, very common. It's, it's a cliche. But mo you realize that every cliche is there for a purpose. Not only that, kids, are, are, they don't always know those. So feel free to use things your parents told you, and you find yourself sounding like your parents. Isn't that great? <laughs> would, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? Is, is asking the student, is asking the young man, the young, young woman, the person who's going down a path following bad people, following people who are going in a bad direction, they're going to self-destruct. Would I self-destruct with them? Would I know that's a jump? And by using that, you're able to provoke their thoughts in a way that is special. In fact, here's, the, here's the, what the quote from Kidner. He says, so the secondary purpose of Proverbs is to introduce the reader to a style of teaching that provokes his thought, getting under his skin by thrusts of wit, paradox, common sense, and teasing symbolism in preference to the preacher's tactic of frontal assault. You see the difference? The book of Proverbs is so, is so beautiful in that he teaches us things that, that we, we, we never really thought of in that way. We need to pursue it. But thirdly, most importantly, wisdom does require a believing heart. Have you ever wondered why some of the smartest people you, you know lack common sense about the way the world works? I find myself screaming at smart people on TV, why are you so stupid? And it's not because they don't have the degrees, they do. It's because of this. 
This is a theme book for the whole book of Proverbs and gives us the essential foundation for wisdom. Here's the fertile soil where wisdom may flourish. Here is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Knowledge is impossible without faith. You must express a faith commitment, reverential fear for Yahweh before you can ever hope to understand wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? It's a reverential awe for a holy God. It does not mean you are scared of God or that you run away in fear from God. No, it means that you are not flippant with God, that you take him seriously. We're not talking about abject terror. We're talking about respect. In the book of Isaiah, one of my favorite passages of a vision of the Lord here, Isaiah sees the Lord. The king, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flied. Or he flew. And one cried to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. And his response, his response to a holy and magnificent God is to recognize that he is low. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We have a, we have a great, great fear of the Lord on display here. Someone who is acknowledging their sin, recognizing God's seriousness. But notice that in Christ, he brings us blameless to the throne of God, and we have something great. We have the love of God that we can cherish. In fact, we can be reverent people because of what God has done through Christ. A reverent person loves wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the starting place. It's the head. It's the prerequisite for gaining knowledge. You cannot gain wisdom or knowledge unless you, gain, uh, unless you engage in some faith commitments. Number one, the Lord, he is God. He has made us, and we do not belong to ourselves. He is the creator. I am the created. He deserves to be worshipped. I do not deserve to be worshipped. And when you recognize those faith commitments, when you acknowledge that without these foundational truths, you will not gain wisdom. He is God. I am creator, uh, created. He is creator. He made me. I do not belong to myself. He deserves to be worshipped. I do not. Because a foolish person hates wisdom. A foolish person doesn't understand wisdom and instruction. They, they despise it. They don't like it because it says something about their current condition. They close their eyes and ears to the truth. They do not hear, want to hear what is right. As we conclude, I want to point you to the foundation of wisdom as we've seen, that wisdom requires listening, it needs to be received, that it requires pursuit, it must be sought, and that it requires a believing heart. You must come with faith. And what we see, as I want to conclude here at the end, is that Christ indeed is seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as the true wisdom of God. Is there a better example? I do not think so. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We will finish here. 1 Corinthians 1. You must come to God through Christ he is called the wisdom of God. In, in the New Testament, as New Testament believers, through the gospel message, Jesus Christ destroys the so-called knowledge of the world and uses the foolishness of preaching to save souls. And this is the true wisdom which we must pursue. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is what? foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews requested a sign, Greeks after wisdom, but we preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Greeks and Jews, Christ, the power of God, and notice, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the wisdom of God is stronger than men. The weakness of God, sorry, is stronger than men. You will never understand wisdom if you reject the one who created the world. You will never understand wisdom if you do not orient your life around what truly matters. And this song we're going to close with in a second is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I want you to notice how the cross changes everything. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count as loss. Poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. The last verse says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, when you have the fear of the Lord, when you have the name of Christ, when you have the truth at the center, it changes everything. Would you pursue wisdom? Would you listen to wisdom? Would you believe God? I challenge you this summer, be people who pursue wisdom and instruction. Father, we ask today that you please work in our hearts even today as there may be folks who do not yet know you as Savior who desperately need to come to you in faith. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, your shed blood on the cross means they can have forgiveness, complete forgiveness of sin, not because of what they've done, but because of what you accomplished. And this might be seen as foolishness to some, but Lord, we know it is the power of God unto salvation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps today you say, Pastor Marshall, I need to pursue wisdom. I have not been pursuing wisdom like I should. I have been pursuing folly. I have not been seeking after the Lord's things. And I'm going to commit myself today that right now I am going to be a man or woman or a child or a teenager, whatever you are, wherever you are. I'm going to be a man or woman of wisdom. I'm going to pursue the things of God. I'm going to allow God's word to speak into my life. I'm going to pursue it, listen to it, and I'm going to trust the Lord, have a fear of the Lord. If that's you this morning, raise your hand nice and high. I'll pray for you in just a moment. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way, but say, yes, Pastor Marshall, pray for me this week. As I pursue wisdom, I'm going to seek the Lord because he says, seek the Lord that he may be found. Amen. Keep praying. Amen. All of Father, I pray for those who have raised their hands that you please work in their lives, and even those who haven't, that as your word is spoken, we might embrace it and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.